Welcome to the Coconuts Podcast. Today is June 18th, 2021. The Coconuts Podcast is your home for top trending news and pop culture from all across Southeast Asia and Hong Kong. I'm Vim Shanmugam. And I'm Summer Lee. What is up? What is up indeed? Well, um, we thought we were going to be out of the woods or at least like out of the semi-woods or out into <laughs> the semi-wilderness. But mm-hmm. here in Singapore, um, we were supposed to open up into, I guess, like a less heightened <laughs> alert um, next week. But now it's on pause, right? <laughs> Yeah, I have no idea. Like, I don't actually know what's going on. I need to go and read all the updates. But like, I think we're right now thinking we should have dining in again. Like, at first they said we'll come mm. back on the twenty first of June, which is in a few days. But now they're yeah. like, maybe y'all don't deserve food. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I guess we'll just have to wait and see. But this is going on and on and on. Um, have you gotten your uh, vax yet? Um, Summer Lee. Yes, I got my first shot. I feel like absolute shit, but yay! <laughs> oh no, when when did you get it? Uh, yeah, so like it's it's been about maybe five six days since that. Okay. Yeah, I, I feel like when I stop drinking water, I I start getting like a warm forehead, so I'll just keep drinking water. It's gonna be okay. Oh wow! Yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> I think everyone in Singapore. Hopefully, like, um, you know, a lot more people get the first uh, vaccination soon. I think we're rushing it out. And then uh, eventually, hopefully, um, the second vax, second shot, and then freedom. Woo. Just kidding. Shot, <laughs> we shot, don't even know. Exactly. Advertise with our in-house agency growth. Fast, funny, digital. Join forces with us to slay buzzwords, rise above the noise, and sow the seeds of something great. Get in touch via coconuts.co slash grove. And our top stories for the week. We start off in Bali where Kurobokan prisoners killed hospitalized after downing disinfectant to get drunk. <laughs> but yeah, so a female prisoner from Kurobokan prison has died while another is being treated for liver failure following a mass poisoning incident where 21 convicts drank disinfectant mixed with an instant beverage. But yeah, a number of prisoners began complaining of gastric pain and Lily, who hits one of the female units at Kurobokan prison, so Lily said they drank disinfectant that was mixed with an instant orange beverage popularly known as Nutrisari. And she added that all of them wanted to get drunk and attempted different concoctions before finally using the disinfectant, which they assumed might give off the same effect as alcohol. Oof. Uh-oh. That's not good. No, it's not. Oh my god. Uh, I'm just thinking about how uh, Trump was telling people to drink hand sanitizer or rubbing alcohol or something when he was president so i'm like oh my god did they read that and got like some ideas from there because oh no oh gosh yeah well hopefully like they recover i mean that's like crazy um but you know what mm. can we say about contraband illegal mixing of chemicals in in prisons uh it's like a thing i think it's a good thing in 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 prisons right like i think um i mean as as far as like documentaries that i've seen uh on mm. some prisons around the world like i think they try to find like different types of like um 
you know, fruit or vegetables or whatever they can find um, in their cafeteria and try to make like illegal booze or um, yeah, just ways to get like, you know, high and, and pass the time, I guess. Mm. Well, move to Thailand where uh, this is kind of an interesting story because um Remember we did that episode on crypto? Well, it's come full circle because crypto amulets have now hit Thailand. And there's a twist, Summer. This is a twist. Um, they've been blessed by monks. NFTs have entered the blockchain. Oh, in Thailand hell yeah. And blessed, blessed monk, blessed um, NFTs. So a whole bunch of NFTs um, are now being sold. NFTs, uh, for people who don't know, are non-fungible tokens. You, they're kind of like art pieces, digital art pieces that you can purchase and trade uh, on, you know, whatever uh, crypto blockchain that you choose to purchase it on. And uh, a Thai amulet now, uh, Thai amulets uh, are now being um, uh, traded. And <laughs> now millions of collectors all around the world um, are all looking and watching. Um, last year, um, $1.25 billion uh, of NFTs were traded just, just last year. So, I mean, it's really sort of popular. And um, the Thai amulets are being, or Thai NFTs, are being traded um, between the, you know, between the cost of about 1,600 baht to 64,000 baht, uh, which is, in crypto terms, about 0 0.02 Ethereum's. To 0 0.8 ethereums and if you want to find out what that means go back to our podcast about crypto and listen these nfts were blessed by luang pu hang papaso who is a 95 year old um, monk um and it, it's yeah it, it's sort of bringing um traditions to the digital age but yeah over in hong kong yellow uh, promotes drugs in an anti-substance abuse campaign in social media or have a second opinion, is my advice. But yes, the Hong Kong police are sending mixed messages with their latest anti-substance abuse campaign. For what the force has termed anti-drugs month, officers are mobilizing across the city to raise awareness about the dangers of substance abuse. And among the signs they're mm. posing with is one that reads YOLO. As in, yes, the obsolete inter internet acronym that says you only live once. Oh my god. <laughs> but yeah. So um if you're a young person under the age of I don't know 50 <laughs> uh you understand that you know the slang celebrates taking risks and the implications of it being used in an anti-drug campaign are clear to everyone except the police. <laughs> and of course people are having a field yeah. day on the internet here. People are like, guys, you only live once, please go and take drugs. <sighs> <laughs> She did like the opposite. I mean, who, who like, you know, someone has to QC this stuff, right? Like, you know, before they run mm -hmm. out there. But th then again, I, uh, with all the shenanigans that have been happening, um, yeah, maybe, maybe no one QC'd that. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. YOLO. <laughs> YOLO indeed. Over in Indonesia, some controversy. A judge knocked six years off a corruption convict's 10 year sentence because he claims. She's a woman. Well, she she is a woman, but because a uh, linear sentence because she's a woman, which is a whole other thing. But um, in Indonesia, Indonesia has set a precedent for reducing punishment on the basis of gender because the Jakarta High Court has knocked off six years off of, um, I guess, disgraced prosecutor Pinangji 
Serena Malasari. She was actually sentenced to 10 years because she took a 500,000 USD um, bribe from um, some from a fugitive. Um, and she used the money to buy a brand new BMW X5 and got cosmetic surgery in the US. And then mm-hmm. obviously came, you know, she was, she was caught and convicted. Um, but the high court basically said uh, the convict as a woman must receive attention, protection, and be treated fairly. Um, she is also a mom. Uh, she's a four-year-old child. So part of the reason was also that, you know, she needs to um, get out and raise her child. Uh, but this was obviously met to met with um, huge uh, negative press, shall we say. The Indonesia Corruption Watch ICW basically said that uh, she actually should have got like a heavier punishment and not have it like re- be reduced. Essentially, like they're now saying that corruptors can get away with whatever they want. So, yeah, um, Ball is in the Supreme Court now. So, yeah, interesting because obviously I don't want to say anything. Allegedly, corruption is an issue in Indonesia. Or there have been many cases, <laughs> many cases of corruption in Indonesia. So, um, yeah, I can understand the part where, you know, maybe, maybe there is some leniency to be had. But then again, corruption is corruption. She knew that she was mm-hmm. um, committing a crime, 500K USD. And, you know, it's not as though, like, she used that money to, to, to you know, put it into education or whatever it was like she bought like a new BMW and got plastic surgery. So I don't know, man. (laughs) And over in KL, human rights groups condemn a poster portraying Rohingya migrants as a threat. What the hell? The Malaysian Human Rights Commission has joined Amnesty International Malaysia in condemning this poster uh, that was made by the immigration department that portrayed the Rohingya community as a national security threat. What the hell, boy? So the commission, also known as Suhakam, weighed in on the matter two days after the poster was put up online by the department and later removed. So the poster was meant to act as a reminder to ethnic Rohingya migrants that they are not welcome in Malaysia uh, because the poster had depicted armed enforcement officers in the foreground of people on boats with a caption in Malay that translates to ethnic Rohingya migrants, your arrival is not welcome. And of course, it was posted to Twitter and Facebook weeks after Home Minister Hamza Zainuddin announced large-scale operations to detain undocumented migrants during the movement control order lockdown before adjusting his statement later on to say that it was for vaccination purposes. Snarsity <laughs> of you. But yes, Amnesty International Malaysia reacted to the poster, calling it particularly grotesque and honestly same, coming from leaders who were crow to the international community about their concerns for Palestinians one week then in the next breath, threaten violence against those who are traumatized and displaced. Oh. Uh, and Amnesty also called on the Malaysian government to explain why it chose to attack people in need during the pandemic. Bars. What is happening, y'all? Yeah, but I mean, once again, like, it's coming back to like, there's no one QCing this stuff. <laughs> like, you know, there should be someone who's mm-hmm. like looking at all this stuff and being like, oh my gosh, like, this is not this is not something you should be putting out. Like, where where are their parents? Where are their parents? So I like to know. <laughs> well, in in Manila, and this is I I feel like this is gonna it's already happening in some countries and it's gonna continue happening and it's quite scary. But travelers with fake COVID nineteen tests should be arrested. Um, which was uh, President Rodrigo Duterte's um, mandate. 
uh, because apparently a lot of people have been traveling around the Philippines in Boracay, especially last week. Um, four travelers were apprehended. Um, and even before that, there have already been cases where people have been traveling with these um, fake uh, COVID-19 tests. They're called the RT-PCR test results. And they've been forged. And uh, essentially, Duterte is like now kind of um, giving the cops full reign to, to arrest them and be and that they will be punished. Um, it's going to be a very tricky thing, not just in the Philippines, but just across the world now that um, mm-hmm. this thing that we probably will have to have digitally, like, I mean, I'm sure like we'll like, there'll be updates on whatever, like um, digital app that kind of um, covers your, you know, um, yeah, your, your COVID-19 progress, shall we say, or um, vaccination progress. And <laughs> I wonder, I wonder um if there'll be ways to sort of like get around that, like, you know, hackers find ways to hack. And I guess in this case, like they were, uh, it was offline. So they were actually like um, cards or, or documents, but um, yeah, I wonder if this is going to happen more and more and how we can actually um, sort of monitor it in a, in a more stringent fashion. Arresting people is one thing, but it's not the, those are the people who just bought the forgery. It's like, who are, who's forging this? And who also became experts mm-hmm. at forging this so quickly? <laughs> Crime so quick, man. Crime so quick. Mm-hmm. Come, come and teach a skills future course, you know? I mean, y'all learned that so fast. It's like low-key admirable. So like, uh. <laughs> We don't know that though. Just kidding. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, we don't. For the government, <laughs> that was for you. <laughs> oh my god and over in singapore we're dealing with some bullshit of our own um if you remember the cutout standee saga with miss uh, sarah bagarit versus the people's association that case well it's still ongoing and some new developments have developed <laughs> so the singapore stat board tasked to look after the racial and religious harmony of citizens this is in their website by the way <laughs> missed an opportunity to have constructive dialogue with a Malay couple. It stole a wedding photo for Hari Raya decorations, according to the bride. So the People's Association, or PA, was supposed to meet with the couple, Sarah Bagarib and her husband, Razif Abdullah, but the board called it off in a controversial statement after it disagreed that appropriating the Malay wedding photo for a religious Hari Raya celebration had anything to do with racism. (coughs) Gatekeeping. (coughs) So the photo, if you remember, was also blown up into a standee and had his faces cut out. Who does the mm-hmm. shit? Sarah put out her own statement and she said it's disappointing that the PA had decided to cancel the meeting between themselves, my husband and I. But yeah, so uh, PA's statement sparked a flurry of discussions online, largely between those who criticized the stat board for canceling the meeting and those who believed that Sarah was turning the matter into a bigger issue. Okay, so on June 7, uh, Sarah appeared in an Instagram live chat with Nanyang Technological University Associate Professor Walid J. Adula, in which she discussed the incident and also talked about the larger issue of racism in Singapore, although she did not directly associate it with the wedding photo incident. Mm. So Pierre reacted to the Instagram chat uh, by claiming that Sarah had accused its staff of being blind to racism and treating the incident as something that perpetuated racist culture. It then said it was no longer meeting the couple. In their statement, right, which, by the way, I should mention, it's like 
it has stolen the kind of style that we see on Instagram. You know, it's like popular uh, minimalist infographic uh, type yeah. aesthetic. They've kind of used <laughs> this in their statement, which is um, interesting. But in the statement, they said that it is not right to raise the allegation of racism without basis to stoke emotions and sentiments adding that all these lead us to believe that her purpose in agreeing to meet with us has gone far beyond the Rodin Mars incident. We therefore see no point in seating with the meeting. Nani! And oh, they went dear. on to say that they found it odd that Sarah was trying to funnel opinions from her social media followers so that she can bring them up during the meeting, noting that the incident should not involve persons unrelated to the incident. What the hell does that mean, like? She's collecting responses from the community, the community that PA hurts. So what is PA doing? Y'all said you want to open dialogue, but at the same time, in the same in the same breath, y'all want to not have a discussion with the people you've affected? What are you doing? It, it's There's so many things to unpack. I, I think the first thing is that they are so literal uh, with, you know, the, the language that they use. And it's so typical um, boilerplate you know, response and also kind of reeked of like some arrogance. Mm -hmm. and, and the thing is that like with racism or when you speak about discrimination or any of that, like mm -hmm. I think it, it's so layered and nuanced that, you know, you can't, you don't know how the person who is the recipient of that, how that re the recipient feels. And you think something that you believe is, is the right thing and it could be, I'm not saying it might not be, um, but you're not taking the recipient's feelings and experiences uh, into um, context or, you know, you're, you're not being um, empathetic towards them. And I think that's the problem here. Like, mm -hmm. you know, it, it's just very, like, you know, they, they took offense at the dumbest things. <laughs> and I'm like, mm -hmm. really? Like, you know, you had an opportunity here to be human. And I think that's that's the thing. It's it's so wrapped up in, like, bureaucracy and, you know, like, people being so fearful of, like, losing their jobs or doing, quote-unquote, the wrong thing or not wanting to upset their bosses or whatever it is. Like, you know, it, mm -hmm. it's just it's just quite it's quite ridiculous. Um, I mean, I guess, like, the, the tangent for this, too, is that, like, people were talking about this on the forums. And I think one, a former MP made um, a comment about uh, saying that, you know, yeah, like she was blowing it out of proportion and, you know, and all that stuff. And, and someone responded and he ended up by calling that person a, a snowflake. <laughs> and I was like, this is like, this, like, you know, you don't do that. You know, like if you're, mm -hmm. yeah, I think it just reeks of like, you know, privilege. <laughs> and that's what it is. And like privilege and like bureaucracy and like no one like actually stepping forward to have a conversation. And I think that's what Sarah was trying to do. I think she was trying to open that conversation and not hide things because I think it's very easy for us to keep on like sweeping things under the rug, which is what we've always done. Like, cause it's a, it's a, con a convenient thing. Mm -hmm. and, and I think more and more people now are you know, confrontation and conflict, I mean, there are different levels to it. And I think, you know, largely people don't want to have co a conflict or confrontation, but I think people are now more open to um, having different view, different views and, and talking about the hard stuff. Um, yeah, so I hope, I do hope, like, they uh, open the 
um, open the lines again because I think the PR right now for PA is not great. Hell <laughs> <laughs> no. Especially, right, especially for you people who have put this on your website and I'm reading verbatim. The People's Association was established on 1st July 1960 as a statutory board to promote racial harmony and social cohesion in Singapore. Our mission is to build and bridge communities in achieving one people, one Singapore. Ah, then freaking talk to Sarah lah, what? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, in our top story... Well, this is, I mean, this, this, this debacle is just getting worse and worse. Um, the Myanmar military spokesman has, on state TV, basically called any independent media sluts and whores. Oh, my goodness. Military spokes, spokesperson oh. Zhou Mintun blasted independent media as sluts and whores in that uh, the difference is clear between whorish media's propaganda and reporting and the actual situation uh, about the media. I want to say you don't need to be such sluts to operate. Um, yeah, and not without any irony. I mean, basically he was saying that um, what they say is true and everyone else is reporting bullshit. I'm like, yeah, that sounds, that sounds accurate. I mean, tell me you're a dictator without telling me you're a dictator. That's... <laughs> literally hey. what it is <laughs> independent media that's us we're sluts got it <laughs> exactly um I, I yeah uh alongside the alongside that you know obviously controversial statement he also released a quote-unquote confession video so in this confession video Poto, uh who is an mma fighter he got hurt recently um because some bombs went off near his gym um and Basically, the junta accused him of actually making those um, bombs and trying to help the anti-coup movement. Um, so he was in hospital and then recovering, and um, they sent out like his confession video, and he was very deadpan um, and really sort of like it looked very, very scripted and staged. And um, everyone who saw the, the the video was like, "Yeah, this is a false testimony. It's not real. It's not a confession." Um, so yeah, I, I guess like you know, as um, as being this hoary, slutty media, the only thing we can do right now is to continue um, telling the truth and getting the story out, um, so that you know the people of Myanmar can, you know, uh, find freedom from 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 these assholes. Really. Mm -hmm. So today's guest is well, I mean, to say that he's legendary is like is an understatement. Um, we have for you Bob Ballard. Now, some of you might recognize that name. For those of you who don't, shame on you. But he is the man who discovered the Titanic wreck. Um, but, I mean, beyond that, he's also uh, a, an amazing adventurer and a deep sea explorer. He's done all this cool, crazy stuff. He's basically like rewriting biology books. Um, and science books as as we speak like that's his thing and um mm -hmm. he also has um this 24 7 365 um well probably not 365 but uh, he has this like live um portal where uh he is sort of traveling around the world in the ocean uh in his submarine called the nautilus 
and uh, there is a sort of live stream and you can actually see things happening, see things being discovered, see things uh, as they travel past them uh, live. And, and he's going to talk to us about all of that and about his new show. Hi, Bob. Thank you so much for doing this interview. Of course, you're doing this for the Coconuts podcast where me uh, and Vim are hosts. So yeah, I really appreciate you. So where, where are you physically? Oh, we're in Singapore. Well, I was just there. Last airplane trip I was on was in Singapore. Oh, wow. When was that? You get to travel? I loved it. No. <laughs> is it is it weird for you to be on a plane versus like a ship? <laughs> I've, I've been flying all over the world. You know, I've been at this. You know, I turn, I'm very old, as you know. <laughs> I'm 79 this month, but... Uh, I've been uh, traveling the world, seeing a lot of it, and uh, more to come. About to take off as soon as we launch the book and TV show, I'm going back to see. You can watch it live on NautilusLive.org. Yeah. Um, you follow our expeditions, and we're headed off to uh, uh, the Western Pacific. We'll be heading over to your neck of the woods before you know it. Yeah, I checked out the site. That's, like, really, really cool. There. How, how long have you guys been doing that? We were not affected by COVID. Doesn't matter. Uh, you don't have to be on the ship. Uh, you can go on the ship. I have a a, a room uh, at my office a few minutes from here. We call it the Looking Glass from Alice in Wonderland. And I go through this door, and I'm literally on the ship. I have complete command command control. I can. It's a giant. It's sort of zoom on hormones. Uh, so we've been doing this for quite some time. And so uh, welcome to Zoom. But you need to have ten gigabits of bandwidth. Is what. We can convince you you're on the bottom of the ocean. In fact, our lawyers have said, do they need to sign a disclaimer in case they die of a heart attack? We say, well, right, well. <laughs> okay, I guess, um, Bob, you've probably gotten a billion questions about the Titanic. We just have one. Could Jack and Rose have fit on that door? Real serious question. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, now that that's out of the way, then next question. The serious questions. <laughs> is that is that weird that like um, you know besides like throw the Titanic away? Like, what would be your other sort of like biggest like discovery that you you're sort of like really happy about? There's our discovery of the whole new ecosystem on our planet, the the hydrothermal vents. I mean, can you imagine a three meter the worms worm, right worm that had human like blood? that stuck out its lung and inhaled poisonous hydrogen sulfide and its entire body had been taken over by an extremophile that replicated photosynthesis in the dark from the energy of the earth, not the sun. That's threw away all the biology books. And it now tells us very importantly, we're not alone in the universe mm -hmm. and we're probably not alone in the solar system. I'm working with NASA now on two launches they're doing to two moons, one of Saturn, uh, Enceladus, and one of uh, Jupiter called Europa. And yep. those moons, think about it, have more water in their oceans than Earth has. And most people don't realize these are, they cover an ice canopy. So think of them mm -hmm. like the North Pole, at least in the past, mm -hmm. before it started. And they have an ocean. Our ocean is uh, about 11,000 meters deep. Mm -hmm. That one is 25,000 meters deep. 
Well, more than double. More than more than double. So it's a, uh, and we believe there's life in the, in those those oceans. I don't think we're going to have Singapore down there. Uh, I don't think there's a, another option. Uh, I, I, there is no option for the human race. Uh, uh, there's no Plan B. We're not going to send everyone to Mars. That's ridiculous. We can't even terraform the Gobi Desert, let alone get Mars to work. So no, I uh, I wish we would quickly find that there is life in that ocean and get on with living on Earth. Because I'm seriously concerned about whether we're going to be around. I know mm -hmm. the Earth will be around for billions of years. Life will be around for billions of years. I'm not sure the human race is going to make it through this century uh, because we're really screwing up right now. And Earth declared war on us. I don't know if you know the concept of Gaia, which is a, 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 Mother a, Earth. Yeah, that Earth is a creature mm. and lives biotically with all life. I think the Earth is attacking us. I mm. think decided got to get rid of us so unless we can cut a, a peace deal uh we're gone they'll they'll be fine so yeah i think it's very important for the human race to realize there's no escape we have to cut a deal with our planet and live with it harmoniously i'm glad president biden has now got us back in the protocol i think we're starting to act like adults again yep and forward to his meetings over the next uh, week or so has that sort of like driven your thirst for adventure, like sort of this ethos of like kind of um, raising awareness and and sort of getting people to sort of cherish and and you know heal the earth. Yes, absolutely. Uh, my my goal is to try to get people to understand there is no exit strategy. Mm -hmm. Not mess it up and run away. I commonly tell kids Superman had a choice and he came to Earth. Okay, so for good reasons, but. Uh, recognize that 95% uh, of the human race lives on less than 8% of the planet. Mm. We've evolved ourselves into a very tight box and we're now filling, cutting down our farmland and replacing it with houses. And we're running out of farmland and there's a crisis in 2050. We will not have the farmland to feed the population estimated to be 10.5 billion. So, and that's if everyone's a vegetarian. So there's a big crisis out there, and it's on us soon, and it'll be the young generation. I think the young generation is, a, don't count them out. I think they're going to be hitting the streets on this, and I'm very excited. I have children, grandchildren, yeah. and they are very, very worried about how we're mucking up everything. <laughs> the, great, the greatest of the world. Well, going back to like farmland, I mean, you obviously grew up in Kansas, kind of uh, like the other famous explorer that left to a, a new realm. <laughs> um, but how did it even like start for you? Like how, like, you know, it's not your conventional, it's landlocked. It, it's, you know, how did this love for the ocean kind of uh, come about? Well, I was born six months after Pearl Harbor mm. and father packed the family up. I, I was still in diapers. I guess they had it back then. Yeah, I was in diapers. And they, uh, drove across the United States and he became a, a test flight engineer with Chuck Yeager, the mm. right, one of the right stuff kind of guys. And then after World War II, after moving to California, he said, we're going to stay here. And he moved our family. I was five years old when we rented a house uh, about less than 50 meters from the Pacific Ocean. And that's when I went down and no cornfields anymore. I saw this vast expanse a third of our planet stretching. 
And I remember on one of my first walkabouts on the sand, I picked up a, a, a glass float from Japan. Just think about it. That glass float had sailed across in the currents a third of the planet and washed up on the beach at my feet. And I, I just fell in love with that concept. But it, but it was really because I'm dyslexic, because I talk about go mm. and in, into the deep, my autobiography. I don't read a lot. I did not read 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. In fact, mm. if I had, I would have discovered that the original Captain Nemo was from India. Yeah. Had a, I, I didn't know that because I watched the movie 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Kirk Douglas, right? Yeah, when they made, made it us guys. <laughs> and uh, with with Kirk Douglas and James Mason, yeah, I fell in love with that movie. And I went home and I told my parents, they, you know, parents always say, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I told them, I want to be Captain Nemo. <laughs> and they didn't want it. And they worked with me on it. And they said, well, what is, what is it? He had a submarine called the Nautilus. Mm -hmm. And they took to the sub base, which is two miles from my house. I went aboard a submarine, went in the Navy, became a submariner. And then they said, but this Nautilus was more than a submarine. I said, he had a big window. It opened like the window behind your head, like yeah. the islands, and you could see the ocean floor. And they said, well, that sounds like a marine geologist. And I went and became a marine geologist. So I simply lived my dream. As you know, what Disney says, if you can dream it, you can do it. <laughs> I, I'm living my dream. I, I run to work. I Now I'm trying to... Uh, get the next generation to stand on my shoulders and see new horizons that I can't. And, and is that part of like why, like why the show, why you're doing this show? Like, um, how did it all sort of like come together? Well, one of my spiritual guru is Joseph Campbell. I don't know if you've uh, read his book, The Power of Myth. His yep. interview with Bill Moyer. It's a wonderful book. Get it on audio. I, I do audio. Mm -hmm. And he said, life is the act of becoming. You never arrive. And he talks about the epic journey. And the epic journey is when you dream, and I dream, and then you have to want to live your dream, and you have to prepare yourself. So I went to school, I quadruple majored, I went in the did everything to prepare myself to live my dream. And then you go forth on your dream, on your journey, and then you're tested. And you're tested two ways. You're tested on mentally, did you prepare yourself, which is the easiest thing to do. But the second one is, when you fail, will you pick yourself back up? That's the same test. Will you get back up after you fail? And if you have a passion, and I tell kids, follow your passion, whatever it is, you will get back up, you attain the truth, and then you come back to society and share the truth, which releases you to go on your next journey. So life is a series of classic epic journeys, but I physically do it so people can see me do a physical epic journey, even though all of us are on this journey. We come into this world, we don't know where we came, we don't know why we're here, we don't know where we're going, and then we leave. And that's the journey. And you just make the best of it. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's a mantra for everyone to live by, to be honest. <laughs> we're all on this trip. <laughs> and so I, I use that as a metaphor to excite kids. And I, I tell them, embrace failure. Failure is the greatest teacher you're ever going to meet. You don't succeed without going through failure. You can't get around failure without failing. And so I, it's your greatest teacher. You get knocked down and you lay there and you say, all right, I'm going to get back up because your passion 
get you to get back up. And you go at it. And if you never quit, you can't lose because you'll always win eventually. Mm -hmm. So I think our time's almost up, but I just wanted to round it off by saying, I mean, I think this has been really inspirational. I saw the first episode. Uh, it looks, I think people are going to love the show and I think le learn your story more. That's more than just the Titanic. And I think a lot of people are going to be sort of inspired. And and I guess like, what would you sort of advise or, you know, if there's like a piece of inspiration for um, that you would want a viewer to take away from the show, what would that kind of be? Well, it you know, the key is to follow your dream. If you don't, follow your dream you won't run to work you need to have that passion that burning desire and it i tell kids it doesn't matter what mountain you climb just climb a tall one and so it's the process of climbing how much time do climbers spend on top of mount everest minutes so it wasn't about the view it was about the climb and I always say, don't climb a little mountain because it's over the next day. You got to dream up something else. I dream up 15 year cycles. I mm. dream in 15 year cycles because then I can wander along the way, but I know where I'm eventually going and I get back on track. So follow your passion, live your dream. Don't let anyone talk you out of it and go for the big mountain. <laughs> Thank you, Bob. I think this was really, really fun. Thanks for coming on the show. <laughs> I hope did anyone else have a question out there? Are we all good? We're all good. I'm just thinking about just letting it sit, you know, to follow my dreams. Yeah. I'm just gonna go think of mountains after this. <laughs>